0: Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 13, where
1: we'll be talking about season two, episode two of the CBS summer series Extant, and this episode is entitled Morphoses and aired on July 8th, 2015.
0: And Morphosis was written by... Is it or <laughs> I don't know. I looked it up and I still couldn't it's find like it. It's like Metamorphoses. Metamorphoses was written by series creator, Mickey Fisher, and a wonderful one it was. And it was directed by Christine Moore. And I thought it was interesting that the show creator did the second episode, but it really is continuing the great tradition that was started with the first one, the new flavor of the series and just took it to the next level. So great job by Mickey Fisher here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we often see the show's creator writing the first and the last episodes, but like you said, not necessarily well, something in between. Th- the showrunners do that,
0: and and Craig Shapiro and, and Liz Krueger are the showrunners. So that's true, they did do that in a sense. But yeah, it's a strange relationship that Mickey Fisher has as being the one who wrote the spec script, and they're still keeping him on in that creator role and and definitely has a big hand in it. So he actually made an appearance, in fact, just today, this afternoon at Comic-Con with Craig Shapiro and, of course, Halle Berry and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And there was a panel that we got to see, Dave. Fortunately, they were publishing those things to the web so those of us who couldn't make it to San Diego could take a look.
1: Yeah, and we put a link on the Facebook group. And fortunately, look, I'm always pleased when fans film the panel and post it to YouTube. It's better than nothing. (laughs) But the difference between that and an actual professionally done one is night and day. And fortunately, this one's done professionally. Great audio, great video. And quite frankly, I thought it was a great panel and it was on the short side.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the great content actually came in the form of stories that Mickey Fisher was telling and Craig Shapiro, I thought it was interesting that a lot of the questions that were directed at Halle Berry and Jeffrey Dean Morgan were about the acting process. So if you're into that sort of thing, that's great. But I was kind of like, OK, can we talk about the show a little bit here? But but at the same time, you could tell they were having fun, you know.
1: Right. And and really, I mean, what do we think they're going to really reveal? Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, the one thing that everybody's talking about is that comment she makes about she and jd swapping fluids (laughs) this season and of course she knows what we're going to think about that oh yeah that it could
0: be more than just the uh (laughs) but i don't think it's going to be what she wants us to think it is oh i don't know we'll see i I think there's definitely going to be some uh sparks flying yeah exactly (laughs) But uh, yeah, there was a lot of talk about the chemistry of those two characters and the lack thereof in the first season. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, confessional really on Halle Berry's part about being executive producer and bringing Jeffrey Dean Morgan on board.
1: Well, the other thing I liked that she said, and, and yeah, I agree with you she, as she talked about the involvement she was allowed to have in season two. I'm sure she had some in season one as well, but it, it almost seemed as if she was implying that she had more now. But I like the fact that she points out that, A, the best writing these days is on television. Yeah. And B, it's really difficult to be an actor or a writer or you know anybody on the production crew on a weekly TV show.
0: I don't think a lot of people have really a good grasp on what their days are like. Yeah, or weeks or months without sleep. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting take as well. But uh the one thing I almost wish they hadn't done, and fortunately it is not part of that panel footage, is they showed a very, very spoilery highlight video for the season at large. And that was posted elsewhere. I think I came across it on Entertainment Weekly or somewhere. And I was like, why did they make this video? So if you're out there on the web looking at highlights for the season of Extant, uh, you're going to come across some facts that maybe as we discuss them here on the podcast, I'll have to watch myself and not say, well, I already know this is going to happen. Because I I just couldn't believe it, Dave. And you know how that's happened in the past with conventions specifically, but also in general where the, the studio execs or somebody decided it was a good idea. And I'm just like... Ugh! you just gave away some of the best stuff. Yeah, but, you know, I'm continually amazed at how many people are into that. Yeah. And that they're glad to have the spoilers. Uh, Obviously, we're not, but... Yeah, I'll have to keep a close eye on myself and make sure I don't, you know, reveal some of my foreknowledge. But it's out there if you're into that kind of thing.
1: Now, the other thing that struck me about the panel is how gregarious mickey (laughs) fisher is he's a fanboy himself i think and again i mean i don't know if he's an actor slash writer or just a writer
0: but my goodness he was great yeah he was really good a good storyteller and i guess that goes with the territory right
1: uh yeah but you know sometimes it's it they can do it pen to
0: paper or you know but spoken is different yeah yeah well, uh, and we do have a lot of show news to share with you. In fact, Dave's going to talk about the ratings here in a minute, but I also want to mention some of the new folks that showed up this week that you may have spotted and wondered who they were. One of them, uh, Henderson Wade, is playing the grown-up offspring, and we do get confirmation that that's who that is. And I kind of got the same vibe as Sergio Harford, who played Marcus last year. He kind of had that same feel to him. and. In a sense, Marcus is kind of the offspring's father <laughs> in a very weird, oblique way. And then there was, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Nikar Zadigan, who played Shayna, the chief of staff, I guess, of the Global Safety Commission, whatever it's called. She actually was on Shapiro and Kruger's show, Girl's Guide to Divorce, and was a big character on that. And also was on Emily Owens, M.D., with one Mamie Gummer, sister of Grace Gummer so I thought that was an interesting connection. And lastly, the cast addition that was kind of interesting was Hillary Burton who played Anna the what did they what was her nickname? Uh, the um Black Widow. <laughs> the Black Widow. She is Jeffrey Dean Morgan's wife in real life, so I thought that was kind of cool. Not to mention the fact that she was a main character on One Tree Hill just like uh Tyler Hilton was who plays Charlie. Yeah, all those shows I watch. <laughs> yeah, I was in a or regular not. rotation. But I thought that was kind of cool. It is cool.
1: All right. Well, uh, the other thing that's kind of cool is the ratings are going in the right direction. Now, it, it may not seem like a lot. And, and in the big picture, it's not. But a 0.8 and a 3 share in the 18 to 49, but it was a 14% uptick from the previous week in that 18 to 49 demo, little over 5 million viewers. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. And, and there's been a lot of talk that they're getting a lot of money from the on demand subscriptions related to the show.
0: So apparently CBS is happy with what's going on. That's good. Yeah. And and 5 million seems to be the plateau for the show. And I think we, we should be satisfied with that. And, Figure it's met its niche audience and it's holding on to it.
1: Right. And when you look at the numbers for other network shows during the
0: summer, I mean, it's in the ballpark. Yeah, exactly. Maybe low for CBS, but high for some of the shows we talk about. Yeah, well, <laughs> NCIS is making up for it. That's right. So, yeah, that, a lot of stuff going on with the show this this week. So that's good to see. And we want to get into our episode discussion here and talk about Morpheus some more. Now,
1: opening scene really teases all three storylines we've got going on in this episode. And we're introduced to the Global Security Commission. They're in Northern California. So I I assume that's the home base for this. And what they mentioned in the Comic-Con panel is that this is sort of like a combination of the NSA and Homeland Security in the future.
0: Yeah, I think that seems like a nice conglomeration, especially Given the mood that was set by the ISEA in season one, it's kind of in that same vein.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, they also explained a little bit and not that we needed to have it explained to us about how this has kind of been phased in and ISEA phased out. Mm -hmm. But we see two teams that are on a mission to take out an offspring. And at this point, we don't know which one because we assume Molly's child is
0: dead. Right. Exactly. At this point, we I think we even talked about last week. There are four of them. And so we thought, oh, this is an offspring. Right. And, you know, we
1: see the teams engage and then the soldiers suddenly turn and start
0: killing each other, which we've seen before. Yeah, exactly. There's a couple of things in this episode, and this is the first of of them, where we're reminded of things that we might have forgotten about. And one of them was that taking over of the mind and causing people that are trying to come after the offspring to turn on each other instead. Right. And we've seen it in the extreme
1: in the same way with with the soldiers firing on each other. Now, we see General Tobias Shepard is at the command center, you know, try to abort the mission. But clearly it's too late. So, you know, obviously it's good to see him. And then it cuts immediately to this military burial, which we presume is for one of the soldiers that was killed
0: during that attack. Well, yeah. And this makes the timeline very interesting because clearly that opening scene was at least a few days, if not a week or more, before the funeral. And the funeral is where he finds out that Molly has broken out. So we have to assume that they've been going after the offspring for quite some time now. And you have to wonder, when did it start for them? Like, at what point did they start going after the offspring? And at what point and why did they feel the need to have Molly institutionalized? Because I think she was in Restwell for like 90 days, I think they said. That's when her review was coming up. So, yeah, a very interesting timeline here. Right. Uh, Well, then we
1: see Molly and JD
0: heading back to the recovery
1: center because he doesn't believe her about the alien story. And, you know, it's sometimes easy to be critical of that. You know, why can't you have an open (laughs) mind? You know, it's like she sounds like Fox Mulder to Dana Scully in the X-Files pilot.
0: But I think it's a very and you probably do, too very logical progression for jd i do too he's seeing it bit by bit that's a pretty hard to believe story right and on the one hand he calls her a drooling maniac but (laughs) on
1: the other hand she knows and, and i think instinctively he knows that she's the only one who can really help him solve this murder because i think he does grasp the enormity of how strange the circumstances actually are
0: yeah once he has the facts about the pregnancy and the fact that her predicted next victim here that we get to see as this episode progresses, turns out to be correct, then how can he not buy into it? Right. Now he wants her to take her pills and she does
1: look a little on the rough side. You know, they still got her eyes, you know, really dark as if she hasn't slept in a while. But she just takes them, pours them on the ground because she knows she needs to be able to think clearly if she's going to be able to help him solve this case which he thinks is simply a murder and she realizes it's something much much bigger
0: right and so I think this is where Molly gets to take a step back and think how am I going to communicate it to this guy without using the aliens concept and and by the time they get to the diner I think she's figured it out <laughs> yeah
1: now one of the other big transformations that we've seen in season two is with Julie I don't know
0: I like it what, what do you yeah well this is interesting because I We talked a lot in the last podcast about how Julie has become the villain, and then we're watching this episode, and she's not so bad. She's got some logic to her actions, and what she's doing is all, in her mind, to a good purpose, for everyone's benefit, and it's not until the very end (laughs) that we see her turn back to that uh, crazy decision-maker that that we saw during the uh, premiere. So, yeah, I think we get to see a lot more of Julie's thought processes.
1: Right. And how she came to be placed in this virtually untenable situation. Right. Uh, She's got a lot of choices. Just most of them are not very good. But in this scene, she's made Ethan chocolate chip pancakes, tried to duplicate as much as possible his old bedroom. Yeah, that was cool. But it's not the same, he laments. And, you know, she's trying to be nice. He won't cooperate. And, And I think the thing that comes out of this scene for
0: me is just how human he has become oh my gosh seriously so because he has seen through the ruse like we mentioned last week at the very end he wasn't buying into it the way he would have with odin perhaps and it's been at least a few months at this point where he's been captured because you you assume that she's been having him here at her apartment for at least as long as molly's been in the crazy acres right (laughs) yeah
1: yeah And, and i mean he's just acting like a petulant little boy That's, you know, I'm going to hold my breath until I turn blue. Or in his case, I'm later on, I'm going to turn my warmers on and
0: till I die. Well, that one was a little bit more emotional, but the, yeah, the turning down of the chocolate chip pancakes, because, you know, he doesn't have to actually eat anything at all. So he can use that to his advantage. But the throwing the plate on the ground and you're not my mom. Well,
1: yeah. And, 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 you know, just say I want to go home. And she tells him it's not possible because your father's gone, but we don't know what he knows. What does that
0: mean? Well, he does mention later that he knows that his father is dead. So she's at least been truthful. And we'll hear from a, a listener feedback a little bit later about how strange this is that Julie has decided to tell him the tragedy of his father. And he knew that. But not tell him that he's never going to see his mom again. So yeah, Julie is giving him selective truths. Right. And then finally, I think she's
1: had as much as she can take when he tells her that he hates it with her, you know, and then she snaps at him, get dressed. We're going to work. And I think we talked last week about why he's not at the facility.
0: Well, also I wonder, Julie is not letting him go back to school or do any of the, any of the things that John and Molly would have let him do. So is he living kind of a boring existence where he just goes to work with her and plays video games all day? Yeah, it would seem that way. And <laughs> yeah. and, and again, you know, I think for a child
1: his age, that would get old pretty quickly. But for a child his age with his intellect, it's got to be really, really bad. But then when he yells at her, you're not my mom, and she gives him this like puzzled look. And I'm thinking like, really? You're surprised <laughs> that he said that?
0: Yeah, this whole scene plays out like it's the first time, like it's only within a week of her having her in his house, in yeah. her house. But, yeah, obviously, this is a very common occurrence in the Julie Gellino ha- household. So, all right. Well, listen,
1: the A story revolves around this pregnant woman who's suffering from unexplainable symptoms. All the while, as Molly and JD are investigating, Molly's questioning her own sanity as things begin happening so you know we start with breakfast at a diner and (laughs) molly's appetite is
0: off the charts right and you're not sure what to make of that you think okay was she just not fed well at the facility (laughs) but apparently this is one of her symptoms yeah
1: and and she goes on to try to explain to him how she knew the dead woman was pregnant because we saw that in the premiere And don't say aliens. And she. (laughs) I love that. And again, she brings up the idea. It's like you do realize I'm an astronaut, right? And that I was in deep space for long periods of time. And this is in the future. So I don't get that part. But she brings up the idea of one of her colleagues impregnated while in space. And. But she's very careful not to say the word aliens. Exactly. And then he seems to, for a moment, have forgotten his skepticism. And then she tells him about the experiments with the adaptability of organisms in space, the the alien spores, and then the fact that some may have made their way to Earth.
0: Yeah, this is very nicely played. She went with the spore and how if a person infected with the spore came back to Earth and they impregnated women, would you believe that instead of the alien story? Yeah. It's actually the same thing. Molly's just framing it in a different way.
1: Well, right, because he's got it in his head. We're talking... Little green men, or I guess the reality is we all know aliens are gray. (laughs) Um, With big, giant eyes. Exactly. But, uh, (laughs) you know, like you said, once she brings it, and which it's actually the truth, uh, the idea about the spores, it's almost as if he can wrap his head around that. Yeah, exactly. Well, she goes on to explain how the process works, the spores infecting, impregnating the woman. And when he asks her how they'd know... She brings up the idea of a blood test, and he said, oh, that's no problem. I can get the evidence. But she says, no, it's got to be while she was pregnant. Right, because the blood sample that the police have would be after the murder. Yeah. Now, were you a intelligence fan? Oh, yeah, I
0: did a podcast. Mother. Oh,
1: right. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> I better be. So you immediately recognized the woman's doctor, John Billingsley, yes. who was part of that father and son tech
0: team. Well, he's always going to be the doctor on, I think it was Star Trek Voyager, one of the Star Treks anyway. Yeah, he he plays a lot of doctors. He has that look about him. Yep, but there's a problem. <laughs> he never got a blood test. Right, and
1: asks if the woman mentioned had anything unusual about her pregnancy, and then obviously we see in his look that, uh, well, now that you mention it, there were
0: complications. Yeah, well, I think he feels free to share what he knows because Molly's the one bringing it all up. She says the baby was growing too fast, wasn't he? (laughs) And he says, yeah, I thought it was a mistake with how she remembered it, but it did seem like there was something going on. And then he must've gotten on some VR chat room. I think it's the same med net that Molly uses later. In fact, and was talking with the doctor who had a patient exhibiting similar complications. And Molly turns to JD and says, there's your next victim. And I think she's really showing her value as his partner in this scene. Yeah. Now, you know, we talk a lot about the
1: chemistry between J.D. and Molly. And, of course, it's there. But this next scene, it's just classic. I mean, they're going to go talk to her. I want to remind you, I'm the investigator. <laughs> you are the sidekick that doesn't talk. <laughs> Which, of course, doesn't happen. <laughs> oh, it, ne- it never happens whenever any of anybody says yeah, that. Yeah, we've seen this before. <laughs> right. So the woman's name is Zoe Grant. And we find out that she met her husband through an online VR service. So, I, you know, is this whole idea of virtual reality, is that going to continue to play a role? You know, you would think it would because
0: it's the future. And Well, we've got three instances now. We've got the VR therapy that Molly went through, and we saw that that was very realistic. We've got the MedNet, which apparently is also a VR for not, probably not just doctors, but people that are trying to look up their symptoms a la WebMD. And now you've also got this dating service kind of thing, too, where you can have avatars (laughs) walking around and doing the dating scene. Yep.
1: But, you know, when asked about the pregnancy, she tells Molly and JD, oh, it was unplanned. You know, we wanted to wait until genetic selection probabilities were more accurate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is what's great about the show. And they did this in season one, too. They just drop in the futuristic elements of the society and the tech very skillfully. Right. And here's another example.
1: And it's nothing that's out of the realm of possibility.
0: No. You figure, okay, we want it to be more accurate so that the baby can have her eyes and and stuff like that. So, right. yeah, they were waiting. It's been seven years for this relationship, but suddenly she got pregnant. And then Mike, the husband, is none the wiser. No. And Molly, it's a good thing she didn't take her pills because she's thinking clearly spills her coffee deliberately Well, she sees that this lady, Zoe, is kind of giving furtive glances back and forth and picking up her coffee kind of hesitantly. So Molly's picking up on the signals. Yep. And what happens is exactly what she wanted to happen. The husband says, oh,
1: don't worry. I'll get it. No problem. Goes out of the room and immediately he's not the father of the baby, is he?
0: Yeah, but she takes it a little too far initially. I think she overplayed her hand because not only does she say, you're you're starting to see dead people the baby's growing too fast right and and also if you if you don't terminate this pregnancy you're going to die and just who the, are you people the way she says that was extremely alarming and you can see that jd is like whoa what are you doing
1: well i understand that and, and i get that he would react that way but on the other hand she doesn't know how long she's got to get to the bottom of this. I mean, for all she knows, he is going to take her back in 72 hours. For all she knows, the Homeland Security people are going to come and and recapture her. And she's, well, I I was going to say she's the only one, but but certainly uh, Tobias understands the enormity
0: and the severity of the situation, but nobody else does. Right. And Molly's trying to be quick about delivering the message she needs to deliver. Yeah. But I think she does a better job later when she's talking about how the spores are like an infection or like a virus that the baby has. But here she's trying to get the message across quickly and get Zoe to buy into the crazy story. Because, of course, Zoe knows that something weird is happening to her, but it doesn't work this first time. In fact, they they head on out and Molly gets kind of a dressing down from J.D., but he needs to take her back to the place, but not before a quick shower at home, which I think was... (laughs) relatively good of molly to persuade him to allow her to have that much
1: well or was this part of her plan all along or did the plan just simply come to her as she's in the bathroom yeah i think it came to her as she's scratching at her arms uh you put some kind of lotion on then spots that pill bottle which is i guess when she hatches the plan to drug jd i was gonna say at this point why doesn't Tobias have her home under surveillance if he's concerned that she's out well we later learn that he does
0: yeah I think Shana even mentioned something about oh they they just went to her house nothing alarming they weren't really doing anything that we should be worried about so maybe it was just a conjugal visit I think she says
1: Well, but it kind of begs the question if you're really that worried about her that you've had her in the rest home for three months why wouldn't you just grab her
0: or, you know, what the thing I wonder is, what were they worried she was going to do if she had been let out? Was she going to do exactly what she's doing now, go off on investigation? Because really, she's motivated now by hearing the news that these ladies are being impregnated and her, their stomachs are being blown open. But prior to that, would she have tried to pursue any angle when Tobias had told her that her son was dead? Or would she have just moved on with her life?
1: Well, that's true. I guess maybe afraid that she would talk to the press. Now, granted, the press would probably see her the same way that J.D. sees her initially. Well, Molly comes down in just a sweatshirt and and clearly J.D. never saw the Firefly episode, Our Mrs. Reynolds. Because uh <laughs> Who was doing it in that episode? Uh well it was Christina Hendricks who is you know <laughs> anyway, uh I'm sure a lot of our listeners know the episode <laughs> I'm talking about. But JD asks about Ethan's pictures and she tells him that her son's a humanic, a robot. Oh, <laughs> you're serious.
0: <laughs> Just Yeah, it's like as if it's not enough this whole alien story. Now she gets to tell him about her robot son. <laughs> right. But she offers him a beer because she doesn't want to
1: drink alone. And they put out their relationship, you know, mine's dead, yours is divorced, probably wishes I was dead. And, and you know, it's it's almost <laughs> like he's starting to believe. And when he, he says, if even half of what you say is true, it's no
0: wonder you ended up in Crazy Acres. Yeah, I think it's a question of just finding out a little bit more about each other and flirting. And obviously, J.D. is amenable to that sort of thing, including the wearing just a sweatshirt and nothing else very natural scene i really liked how it felt completely authentic and probably would have proceeded nicely although he says i i hate to be that guy but then he can't get any farther in that sentence because the drugs start to kick you right in. <laughs> and what's that guy he was gonna say i hate to be that guy but it's time to take you back to to rest well okay and she's like nope
1: (laughs) well we find out why she wanted to drug him and we understand her feeling the need to speed up this process because this is not something that we can be slow and methodical about so she's followed zoe to a mini mart i'm not here to hurt you i'm here to help and she of course mentions all of the symptoms and and i'd forgotten about the patterns on the body
0: Exactly. And I mentioned this earlier, how there are certain things, including the mines being taken over, the military guys that killed each other, but that the patterns was another thing I'd forgotten about where Molly's stomach was coming out in those weird rings that we use for our podcast logo. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's it's a little weird because Molly does kind of sneak up on her in a dark parking lot. So her approach still hasn't improved, but she is a little bit more convincing and is able to get Zoe to agree to, I guess, have coffee with her in the diner or something like that.
1: Well, right. And when you think about it, it really does make sense to have a one on one girl to girl talk about something that they've both gone through. And she tells Molly about going back to reverie. I wasn't looking to cheat. You know, we'd split up for a while, a few one night stands.
0: And she says she's pretty sure she knows who the father is. Well, at this point, she lies about it. And oh, says, right, right. She says, not sure. She's not sure who the father is. And later on, she confesses that, uh, no, I, I do have an idea of who it might be. But by then, it's too late. But Molly's able to give her a much more coherent argument when they're sitting here having coffee and says, it's like the baby is carrying a virus. And I think that probably rings more true for Zoe and and tells her that, well, the reason I survived because Zoe said, well, you're OK, you know, but it's just like we thought Molly is only alive because Yasumoto, even though it was against her will, extracted the baby from her. And that turned out to be a pretty good thing for, for Molly.
1: Well, right. And telling her it's like the baby's carrying a virus. It's something again, that she can wrap her head around that, that makes sense. That's reasonable, which is good on the one hand that Molly's getting her to recognize the seriousness of her situation. But Then she goes on and and says that I can't terminate it because this is the thing that brought us together.
0: Yeah, they probably were having problems leading up to her pregnancy. And maybe this brought them closer together and she's feeling okay about her marriage now. And she doesn't want to give that up. But as Molly tries to go after her, she loses her chance because suddenly and unexpectedly for the viewers, certainly something happens and she has this dizzy spell and her head hurts again. And so I thought maybe I was just barking up the wrong tree when I was mentioning the headaches last week, but apparently this is a real thing for her.
1: Yeah. And it's certainly one of the big questions that we, you know, end this episode with is what's going on. I mean, we see her at this bar or club, a bunch of tattooed individuals having sex with one of them in a bathroom stall. It would seem.
0: Yeah. It's like, she's a different person, not under control of her actions. And she just goes to have anonymous sex and she's not keeping the memories of that. She just has lost time a la X-Files almost.
1: Right. Because the next thing you know, she wakes up in a forest at night and. Alien
0: abduction. Oh, no!
1: well, you know, I mean, again, that's one of the. In questions a way. Right. We've, we've got. Uh, and she sees this young girl and walks towards her, asks her, do you need help? And the little girl touches Molly's face, and then we realize that she's got
0: offspring eyes. That would be a good name for a song. (laughs) And we don't know which parts of this are real and which parts of this are part of a dream. Because after the offspring eyes girl touches her face, she's waking up and hearing JD saying, we got to go. And then it cuts to commercial.
1: Right. And, and at this point, we're wondering, OK, you know, obviously, was it a dream? Which parts of it was a dream? Did she really even, in fact, drug him? Well, we find out later. Yes, she did.
0: Yeah, I don't think that part was <laughs> part of the dream. But certainly, uh, I do wonder whether the girl was part of the dream or whether she. Well, I mean, she, it couldn't have been because she had those dirty boots. JD clearly sees that she's been in bed, but has been on some kind of walk in the jungle or something like that. And there's soil all over the bedspread from where she probably met up with that girl.
1: Right. And since he doesn't know what the hell happened and he does know that she drugged him, he's got her handcuffed.
0: Yeah. He he woke up after she got back.
1: You roofied me. <laughs> and, yeah, that was a good line. Right. And of course, she doesn't remember how she got back. He doesn't know. And then like you mentioned about the soil. Now, after she wakes up,
0: Zoe calls i guess he calls her phone but jd has her phone she had taken his car and his phone and so we're just now regrouping he just woke up from his drug state and she just woke up from her disembodied state or whatever so they're just now getting the news that zoe wants to wants to talk and said that she might know who the father is
1: okay so when they get to her house and there's no one there
0: what's up do we know i mean well yeah why did she leave yeah they, they did definitely find Zoe's body, but why wouldn't they have found the body there?
1: Right. You know, so he gets the alert on his phone that Zoe Grant's just died with the stomach wound, meaning there's another offspring out there.
0: Yeah. You have to wonder how many at this point. Is that up to five or are there ones we don't know about? Right.
1: Right. And he's ready to drop his work with her. He mentions that there's a serial killer out there. So now he's back to being the traditional cop. You know, we thought he'd kind of dropped the total skepticism
0: to have a, a somewhat of an open mind. But now it's <laughs> you no know, serial killer. Yeah, well, and Molly actually has to make that argument. Are you really so small minded that you can't consider the possibility that there's something else out there? But I I think the roofie incident has put him back to square one because he wants to take her back. He wants to just get back to good old fashioned police work, he says, and do it the way he's used to alone. Because remember how he turned down the computer's offer of a partner? (laughs) I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, after JD tells her he's going to take her back now that Zoe's dead is when we see her accessing that
0: online doctor as she's scratching her arm again. Do you think that Molly's scratching her arm because that's the one that was infected with spores on board the uh, space station?
1: I think it's something related. Uh, I'm
0: not ready to say it out loud yet, but I am going to say it out loud in this podcast (laughs) because I feel like the offspring are doing their thing. But we've also got the spores in play, and that's because she brought it back with that infected hand when her glove came off in her in her fight with Katie on the Seraphim. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that's a very real possibility, but I think there's another sexier possibility.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But either way admits something's going on and that she might be crazy, inquires about schizophrenia after giving her symptoms as severe migraines,
0: mood swings, increased appetite, skin burning, voices in head. (laughs) Yeah, she actually knows that this could be not only schizophrenia, but something related to cosmic radiation. And I don't know if this doctor that's on the screen is a real doctor or a artificial intelligence kind of doctor. So I thought he was an AI. And he starts saying, oh, well, that is something. It's a rare condition, but... Cosmic Radiation Syndrome does actually give you the symptoms that she described. Well, and the interesting thing for me, you know, he mentions it could lead
1: to paranoid delusions, aggression, confusion, psychosis and suicide. And I wonder, are we going to see Molly later in the season in a situation so severe, so disturbing for her that she's contemplating that and that J.D. or somebody else has to reel her back in
0: well, yeah i feel like they didn't drop suicide in there for no reason It's it does seem like it might come into play
1: right well she does the old escape through the window while i'm going to the bathroom <laughs> or whatever and uh jd because I, i'm thinking like really you you didn't
0: look at that as a possibility well of course he did because he's got a tracking device on yeah her. he grabbed his her arm at that moment just for that exact circumstance <laughs>
1: all right now the other Story and we didn't see a lot of it, but what we saw was so powerful. And that's General Tobias Shepherd and the military run missions to eliminate the offspring. And at this point, we assume it's just the one. Uh, we don't know how many
0: offspring they know about exactly. And and there's a lot of questions that come up almost immediately. How long have they been doing this? I don't think during the briefing General Shepherd actually says exactly when the offspring woke up and left the morgue. I think, actually, I do think he said it, but I, I don't remember what it was, how much time was involved. But obviously that dead body that was talked about in the premiere and that we saw in the premiere was not really dead. Now, what was the process here? I mean, what did the offspring do? Did it go into the baby like we thought? Or did it fake its own death so that it could wake up later? I'm not exactly sure what the, you know, what the process was.
1: Well, right. And at this point, we don't have a grasp on alien physiology. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe it was just one of those deals where all his vitals were flatlined. But there's that little spark that they can come back. But we are introduced to Shayna, who is, I guess, his chief of staff. And, you know, we find out that they do have surveillance. They know J.D. signed Molly out. And then she tells him that we can't contain this much longer. People are beginning to ask questions internally, and I'm wondering who are these people that are above? You know, are, uh, is this the government, the the
0: senators? But then, what's this that they can't contain? Yeah, and I think it's definitely referring to the offspring, and and not letting the general populace know that there are aliens out there that they're trying to combat. But yeah, I do get the sense, and this is uh, one of two instances where we get a feel for the fact that there might be a larger effort besides just the general shepherd effort. And I think it probably also involves what's going on over at the humanics facility. That's my theory.
1: Okay. Now the other thing that comes out of this scene, because she's kind of, I don't want to say grilling him, but she is the aggressor in this conversation worries that he's got a soft spot for Molly that might jeopardize the mission. But then we learn by something he says to her that he's the boss, not her. Now, at this point, we don't know that she's also his girlfriend.
0: Right, and that there's jealousy involved. But yeah, I I think he probably gets accused by more than just his girlfriend that Molly is a vulnerable spot for him. And that's probably a small part of the reason why she's in the facility as well is because of his involvement with the larger project.
1: Right. Now, she's obviously pulled JD's file. Is it important that he
0: received a dishonorable discharge from the military? Probably not. He He's obviously going to be a guy with issues, maybe a drinking problem and a divorce in his life and things like that. So I think it's just giving us a general idea that J.D. is kind of a bad boy. <laughs> okay.
1: And there's so many thematic ideas that come out of this episode and, and this whole idea of drone strikes. I mean, it's something that we're dealing with in 2015 but here he tells her that taylor has recommended a drone strike against the target and that he's not concerned with collateral civilian damage on american soil
0: and i think this is an act of desperation because they just sent in an elite soldier team and they couldn't get things done now i'm surprised they didn't actually find that out earlier than this because they've obviously been on this job for a while is this Assault that they did on that warehouse where the offspring turned them on each other. Is that the first time they got eyes on him? Yeah. Because they even had to do like age processing on the child version of the offspring in order to come up with a picture to use. So it's almost as though that encounter that he had with the um, soldiers was almost the first time they had even come close. And now they're getting desperate. And that's where the drone strike comes in. Okay, now he also
1: tells her that the other programs aren't ready, so we're out of options, which begs the
0: question, what are these other programs and what are these other options? Yeah, that's where I come up with the theory that humanics might be part of it, because why else would they be pushing Julie so hard? Well, and and because it does seem as if they're going down the super soldier route. Exactly, exactly. So putting these two things together, I'm predicting that there's going to be some crossover (laughs) between... The B story here in this episode and the C story that we have yet to talk about. Right now, I'm always amazed at how many professions allow the
1: higher ups to have a bottle of alcohol in their desk. <laughs> but clearly he's not liking what it is he's been ordered to do. So I don't think we're going to see this raging drunk out of Tobias Shepherd. But uh,
0: I think what comes out of it is he's clearly troubled by this decision. Right. And obviously this gives them a chance to kind of apologize to each other for the earlier encounter. And Tobias says, you know, it's not something where Molly is a weak spot for me. It's just that there's history there. That's all. And she says something to the effect of, I don't know if I'm saying this as your chief of staff or as your girlfriend. But and we're like, oh, OK, <laughs> right. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, like we mentioned before, you know, Molly's child didn't die, recovered, walked out of the morgue five months ago.
0: Oh, there you go. You, you wrote it down five months ago. That's the timeline. Right.
1: Using facial recognition and aging software, they get an idea of what he'll look like now. And they brief the team on a drone strike. Failure is not an option. We have to eliminate the target for good.
0: So, well, you wonder: Do they run the facial recognition on their composite drawing and then find him in that bar that way? Or, or is it the kind of thing that that again, I don't know what
1: the reality is, but you certainly see on TV that they get the facial recognition software and then they f- they feed it out to all of the cameras. This <laughs> Boom! Is like, we got a hit. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's the show you watch? Uh, person, of person of interest, of interest right? You <laughs> yeah. know, something like that is, and you know, in, in the future. Who knows? Very feasible. Yep. All right. But we've been talking about humanics and and the other storyline that's prominent in this episode is Ethan's rebellion, which is causing a lot of problems for Julie at the retooled humanics project.
0: Yeah. And this is very interesting. I mean, Ethan, if I fast forward just to the end and say, Ethan actually doesn't know why he's doing these things, he says to Julie. I don't know why I'm doing these things. He's kind of being a rebellious child where he just wants to cause trouble for Julie and obviously does so with Lucy and also just is kind of a pain in the butt with his loud video games.
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure what the big deal was with reprogramming the tutor (laughs) bot so he could play a game. I mean, again, that's like a typical kid would do.
0: Well, he's not in school, like I mentioned. So perhaps Julie has made provisions for him to have his own homeschooling via tutorbot <laughs> right
1: but but clearly that's quickly the least of julie's worries because charlie comes in tells her that anna aka black widow is there who tells her she needs a demonstration of her progress by tonight and, and julie tries to explain what the issue is and and again it's that whole idea of a system of protocols that were set up so that ethan could learn The difference between right and wrong and not only the difference, but then how to apply decision making to those pieces of information.
0: And I think she even mentions that it has been over the course of nine or 10 years, almost the same age as as what Ethan appears to be a nine or 10 year old boy. So. Definitely has been a long process to get Ethan to learn the things he's learned.
1: Right. And that, you know, basically what they're doing is rewriting ethical adapter algorithms. And and that doesn't just happen overnight. And whereas Ethan learned from her and John, Lucy is going to have to learn from equations.
0: And I don't think I mean, we mentioned it last week. We said, remember Lucy? And then sure enough, that's who they're dealing with. But it's a robot that we've only been introduced to as a face, I believe, in season one. So we're wondering, what's this Lucy going to look like?
1: Right, but Anna pulls out the classic line, you know what, if you can't do it, I'll find somebody that will.
0: Right, and this is where you start to get a little bit more sympathetic for Julie's situation. And like I said, she seemed very villainous at the end of the episode last time, but now you kind of see what she's dealing with and she's holding on for dear life, especially to Ethan, who she's basically been given as a concession almost.
1: And I think she's one of the most compelling characters on, on some levels because, you know, she has been in such a unusual circumstance. I mean, you know, working so closely with John, falling in love with John, having John die, having this program placed in her hands and and now being faced with the fact that it's moving in a completely opposite direction
0: from what she thought and you know as Charlie says this is not what I signed up for yeah Charlie is a great voice for the audience in this and the way that Julie reacts to him is the same way that she would react to us if we could ask her what she's up to right and you know again part of his rebellion you know he wants to play his
1: game on the big speakers and she snaps at him that they're going to run a test and then we find out that there is no plan for him to be reunited with Molly. And, you know, uh,
0: of course he overhears that conversation she has with Charlie. No, I think he doesn't hear it until she says it to Anna, but yeah, here, Charlie is, is hearing it for the first time that, that she's not told him. And that's how we find out as well, because here, she's got this team that's eating ramen. They've been working around the clock and Charlie's mentioning how this is how mistakes get made. And, and, you want to say like this Anna chick has obviously never seen the Terminator movies <laughs> and is being dangerously reckless. And, you know, it's a, it's a trope that we've seen in many different sci-fi movies where we need to see this project finished by tonight and they're pushing them too hard. But really it it's a situation where Charlie is putting on the pressure for Julie and, and Julie has to say, listen, I'm dealing with a lot. So I made a judgment call and said that, I'm not going to tell him the truth about Molly because he's got enough to deal with. But one phrase that I really like from Charlie that rings true is you can't put Pinocchio back into his box once you've turned him into a boy. And that's basically saying, you know, you got to be up front with him about everything. You can't pick and choose. Right.
1: And, you know, the question I had is who made that decision that Molly and Ethan wouldn't be reunited and i think in retrospect it's
0: clearly the military it's clearly anna because she wants this project to go in a totally different direction i am kind of surprised that julie and charlie just take that for granted that molly's never getting out when i would think to their minds that they would only know about the attacking her at the funeral and stuff like that i i wouldn't think they would think she would be committed for life but Maybe they know something that we don't. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. And again, I was a little surprised with Charlie calling her out for bowing
0: to Anna's every command. Well, Anna's the boss. Yeah. He's giving her a real hard time. And Julie has to say, listen, don't second guess me so much. I'm sorry that I'm not John. <laughs> Which I am I wish she hadn't said that. Yeah. I mean, she's laying it on a little thick, too. But at the same time, so is Charlie. I think Charlie even said something like, sorry, it's the MSG talking or something like that where obviously she's got a lot to deal with, but he thinks she has made a lot of wrong decisions, and he's right about that. It's just that he doesn't need to be bringing that up now when they've got a deadline. Right, and you mentioned Terminator. Have you seen Ex Machina? I have not yet, and that is high, high, high on my list now that I've been watching AMC's Humans, because uh, that's in the same vein. Yes, because had Anna
1: (laughs) seen that movie? (laughs) Yeah. Now, she comes in for the test with Lucy, who John apparently designed to look like Molly and. I guess it <laughs> sort of looks like Molly. And this is the first time that any of them will have seen her experience a body, you know, the corporeal world. So they're all pretty excited, but they're all pretty apprehensive as well.
0: Oh, yeah. They actually don't think it's really going to work. I think Julie and Charlie are pleasantly surprised that she's even able to stand up because that wasn't even going to be part of their demonstration. Right. And it was so cool that she recognized them well i think actually julie introduces herself uh, yeah i like i like her introduction with charlie uh charlie and he says nice to meet you and she goes but we know each other what are you talking about yep and you know so anna wants to see if she can stand and like you said well
1: that's not something we were prepared to do do it anyway and she can stand Like you said, she recognizes Charlie, walks over to him, takes his hand,
0: seemingly, I guess, to experience tactile stimuli. Well, sort of. He held out his hand to shake hands in greeting because he was saying, nice to meet you. And she then starts looking at his fingers, like fascinated by his bone structure or whatever. And uh, yeah, and that's why she's looking so closely at his hand. But you saw that Ethan was turning up the volume on purpose specifically to cause a, an alarming sound. Now, I don't know if he knew what Lucy would do, but it almost seemed like he at least knew that it would cause some kind of negative reaction that would ruin the test. Right, you wonder, does he have access to, say, his training, so to speak?
1: Does he have access to know that, well, when I was first born, that's how I reacted to
0: loud Exactly, stimuli? because why would you think that just... Having a loud noise would cause her to crunch Charlie's fingers. Yeah. Well, again, it was classic. Julie is upset. Explains to Anna that
1: what happened was because they skipped over physical calibration to work on other stuff. Totally my fault. I'll get it fixed. No, no. I don't want you to fix it. Let's run <laughs> <don't>. with that. <laughs> like how she said, we don't want you to turn it down. We want you to turn it up. And that's when we get that first idea. Ah, super soldier program.
0: Now, did they know they were going to be requesting this? I'm guessing no. Uh, My guess is that they had
1: other plans for the humanics. Uh, I mean, certainly not what John had originally envisioned, but that this was just kind of an unexpected bonus.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it was something that they said, "Well, well, maybe we can do something with this. And I guess Julie is under the impression, perhaps the naive impression, that Anna and her military people are trying to get the humanics to pass as, as humans, even though they are being used as soldiers. But Anna doesn't care. That's why she's been fast forwarding the whole ethical problem. She doesn't need them to be human. Like she just needs them to do a job.
1: Right, And you know, it goes back to that comment she made to Charlie. I'm sorry. I'm not John. And and that's kind of the difference.
0: John's not, was not naive. Right. She not so much. She is. And I think that probably speaks to her unhealthy attachment to Ethan Because she sees them almost like a person to be attached to rather than a evolutionary step or a marvel to introduce to the world. I think Charlie even calls it it was supposed to be a revolution, not this, you know, another military project gone wrong. Right. Now, the other thing that comes out is that Anna has
1: noticed Ethan's behaviors kind of become a problem for the project. And of course, we see him lurking in the background. And, you know, Julie's defending his behavior and, and on the one hand, surprised that she's defending it. But on the other hand, she's right to do it. All things considered, he now knows he's never going to see Molly again. And and she's told, if you can't get him under control, we'll give him to somebody who can. There's no more room for
0: error for either of us. So does she have another team? She's under pressure, too. Anna is. And I think that's why it must tie into what General Shepard is doing, because I think they're getting pressure to do something about this alien invasion that's going on. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, Charlie tells Julie he's quitting. Project's been weaponized. This is not what I signed on for. And Julie's trying to tell him that this project could save lives. Lots of them.
0: Uh, Is she talking about like soldiers lives?
1: Uh, See, I don't even know if she really knows where the project's headed.
0: Yeah, it was a weird statement for me. Project could save lives. I'm thinking she's just saying if we can send humanics into battle, then we can save the lives of our soldiers. I guess. <laughs> but that's a stretch. All right. Well, the alarms go off and
1: we find that Ethan's core is overheating, which you know leads to that alert. And he's sitting on a step and he tells Julie and Charlie that he's trying to die. And what are we supposed to take away from that?
0: Well, first of all, There's an obvious allusion to his using of the warmers to explode the ISEA lab last year. But that's because he had Odin's bomb, the honey bomb, inside of him. So the warmers obviously are not going to kill him this time. Uh, So I think he is doing that in error. I don't think that that's something that... Well, maybe it could cause some damage to his parts, but it would take a long time. Or is he just a little kid trying to get attention... Oh, you think?
1: Because, well, he knows he doesn't have the honey bomb in him anymore.
0: Yeah, but he may think that it's going to do something. He doesn't know how to die. He doesn't know how to kill himself. And that's the best he can do because he remembers that it worked last time. So, yeah, I think it's part of his learning experience as a robot as well. Right.
1: But all he really wants to do is just cry like a normal little boy. But he can't because I'm a robot.
0: Yeah. And this is obviously something he's known in the past, but it's really coming home to him. and. I think it's a touching moment for Julie and Charlie too, who agrees to stay and that he's not going to leave. Well then of course, Julie has to bring out the idea that they're a family again and that sometimes families argue and sometimes they make mistakes. But at the same time, I think she has seen that her decisions have consequences and and Ethan is going to feel this way. So she's got to, make a change in her approach. And boy, does she. (laughs) Right. But all of
1: those things you said are are true. And that I think they're certainly significant for her to have told him. But it really is that point now for her where she's at a crisis of conscience. And we've talked all along as has she that, you know, you're more human than half the people out there. Okay, well, let's see you uh, back that up.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think Molly actually told him that. But Oh, you're right, you're right. But Julie probably does feel the same way anyway. (laughs) All
1: right, well, Ethan apologizes for ruining Lucy's test and tells Julie that he doesn't know why he keeps doing these things, and if this is what pain feels like for humans, then I don't want
0: to feel it anymore. And Julie comes up with an idea. (laughs) What if I could take it away? (laughs) Yeah, it does seem to occur to her at that moment, and she's almost reluctant to say it. She like, she says, I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe I can use the doofus cap. Do you remember the doofus cap? <laughs> I do. Yeah. It <laughs> makes its appearance again to change a few things around in your neural net core. Ooh. So
1: what is she actually doing though in there? Is she excising memories
0: or changing them perhaps because he calls her mom? Yeah. Yeah. So has she somehow reprogrammed him to think that she's his mom or what exactly? What did she mess with while she was in there? Yeah. But those
1: were certainly three words that I did not expect to hear come out of his mouth.
0: (laughs) Good night, mom. Yeah, what a great ending. And as if that weren't enough. Wow. A shocker of a closing scene because we don't know. We didn't know what Molly was going to do when she left J.D. And he has her on his tracker. So how the heck did she get to where she got here in the closing scene? Yeah, if you don't like cliffhangers.
1: Just stop now. No, we don't know. I mean, we're at the command center. They've located the target at a bar named Hydrogen, which I thought was a pretty cool name for a bar. Yeah. But it's in a heavily populated zone. There will be civilian casualties, but it's a fight we can't afford to lose set for launch. Toby wants eyes on the target. And of course, they've got a camera inside the bar, apparently. More than one. Switch to a different camera. Exactly.
0: (laughs) They've got a heck of a lot of cameras. Right.
1: Highlights the target. And we see what Toby sees. He's at the bar and Molly's sitting next to him. And obviously, what the heck? Yeah, and now he hesitates. And Shayna gives him the look as she
0: should. General, we need a decision. What are you going to do? Launch. Launch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's such a surprise. I mean, on the one hand, that Tobias makes that decision, but on the other hand, what's this conversation they're having at the bar? We can't hear them, but how the heck did Molly get into this position? And does the offspring recognize his mother? Because it, it's almost as though they're flirting. It's kind of a little bit awkward. In that does she sense. recognize him? Yeah. What the heck is going on there? Yeah.
1: So, you know, I mean, certainly there are many questions <laughs> that come out of that final scene. But within the context of the episode, you know, like we said before, what's causing Molly's headaches and visions? My feeling is that you asked whether I thought her scratching was related to the spores. I'm wondering, is she now developing into some sort of
0: human alien hybrid as a result of having carried the child. Exactly, right. And and that was part of some of the mild spoilery material that was out there that asked that exact question is is something changing about Molly? Is is her DNA changing in some way that's causing her to have reactions in the sense? I think that's a great theory. Now, how did she end up in the woods and who is that
1: young girl she sees that has the offspring eyes i think she must be one of
0: the offspring that we're talking about because we know we have multiples okay
1: what's the rush to get lucy online
0: yeah i and again i've shared my theory on that i think she's also being developed as part of a program to combat the alien invasion okay because i mean fine lucy can do all this stuff but
1: then can we produce enough lucy's
0: yeah, exactly. Are they going to mass produce them somehow? <laughs> yeah.
1: Is Julie going to back out of her deal with Anne? I think yes, eventually. You think so? Uh, I do. Although I certainly she won't be see, able to, I don't think. Well, well, what are they going to do? Kill her?
0: No, it's just that she might get cut out of it after it's too late for anything to be turned back.
1: Right. And I could see her staying just for that very reason. Just, you know, OK, I'll I'll have to fight it from the inside.
0: That could be. Yeah. But here's the one that I
1: was thinking about. Is Ethan going to be able to hack into Lucy's system?
0: I think we asked that last week, too. Is he going to have some kind of control over the robot somehow? I think there might be something to that. He might not have it right at first, but I think eventually he might be able to take control, certainly.
1: Well, because that was kind of mentioned in the first episode that, you know, that was one of the dangers that surrounded him is that he was able to hack through the computer system. I forget what the simile they used was you know like tissue paper or something like that (laughs) yeah now how significant is it that julie now we don't know whether she erased his emotional pain whether she reconnected in different configurations or did she simply implant new ones but you know is that going to turn out to be significant in
0: the humanics project the fact that she did that i think it might be more significant just to his own development and his relationship with julie rather than a larger context for it. But you never know. It might actually do that as well. But I definitely think we're going to see the results of that sooner rather than later.
1: Okay, And then I guess it's a viable answer to the question, is our government hiding the fact that extraterrestrials have been here? And somebody might say, well, geez, the government can't keep anything a secret. How are they able to keep that a secret? So (laughs) I'm wondering, you know, how many of these people know that the target is actually an alien?
0: Uh, I think probably a good portion of them just from the yellow eyes. Okay. <laughs> I guess not all of them saw that, but okay. certainly the people in the tactical room and the soldiers, but the soldiers died. So it could be a small subset of folks, but definitely people who have high security clearance at the very least. Okay. I thought it was a great episode. Oh, definitely. And, and almost was feeling like a train that was ready to go off the rails at some, sometimes I was like, this is almost too crazy. Of a ride. Some of the, Crazy decisions that people made, whether it was JD keeping Molly on despite all the crazy things she was doing or the drone strike in the middle of a civilian populated area, anything like that. You know what it felt like to me is an episode of 24.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And who's going to step in to call off the drone strike at the uh, <laughs> Jack the last
0: second? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, great episode. Action packed. And you cannot accuse extant of being exposition heavy (laughs) no you can't so uh, definitely like where it's headed definitely on the right track for season two and can't wait to see what else we have but it's time for some listener feedback and dave we actually got two feedbacks Except they're from the same person. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Leo was very gracious to give us his thoughts, and they're really well put, and I can't wait to share them. He sent us one email after having seen the premiere. So this first one that I'm going to read is about that. And then Dave will share his impressions of the second episode here, Morphosis. Uh So Leo says, I'm a big fan of the sci-fi genre, but I will admit that I am not the biggest fan of Extant. In fact, I think your podcast is the best thing about Extant. Several times last season, you guys were able to explain some of the plot points or give me new reasons to continue watching. I've heard the phrase world building on several podcasts talking about TV shows and movies. I never really understood it until the season two premiere of Extant. The show hasn't really given us a clear or intelligent explanation of the world of Extant. Case in point, Where exactly do robots fit into this society? We've heard about different versions of robots, service bots, version 4.0, etc. But how does society feel about them?
1: You know, and and that's something I think they really need to address.
0: Yeah. And and on that point, I agree with Leo, because is Ethan unique? And the way they react to Ethan is kind of weird from a societal point of view, but We talked about how the tech gets dropped in really nicely and very subtly and the societal changes such as the cops being for hire and things like that. So I do like that part of the world building, but I do agree with Leo on the robot part. (laughs) He says, do the robots have any kind of sentience or AI? Are there adult looking bots out there that can do stuff? I don't think so, Leo. That's like I said, Ethan's kind of unique in that sense. This could help me understand Ethan's place in the universe. We spent an entire episode in season one at Ethan's school, but what did we learn? The world is or is not aware of sentient AI. As an aside, if there aren't adult bots, why would John create the first sentient robot to be a child? I think that's pretty clear.
1: Yeah, so that you could teach him
0: and that he could learn as any normal child. Yeah, they wanted it to be an authentic human experience. Leo says, is the government in charge or corrupt or incompetent or nice? Are corporations without a clear picture of the world? I can't tell if their agendas are good or bad. Why does the government allow Molly to make the announcement about the existence of extraterrestrial life? Pretty world shaking and want to keep some stuff about them, like killing people secret. Wouldn't it make more sense to keep the whole thing secret? Are things so bad or good? That homicide investigations are now assigned to the fastest bidder? I'm not sure the what-does-it-mean-to-be-human sci-fi trope is working here. It doesn't appear that the main characters know what it means to be human or smart. I mean, for such a group of intelligent people, Molly, John, and Julie seem to have a grasp on basic stuff. How is it a surprise to any of them that Ethan has no rights and that the government wants to shut them down? Dave, I think we talked about that last week, how... They were using the human argument, this is kidnapping, you know, that kind of stuff. Doesn't really apply. He did hack a top secret system and blow stuff up. Did Julie really think that John was going to dump Molly and live happily ever after with her and Ethan? While I kind of like Julie as a bad girl, she's really just stalker ex-girlfriend stereotype now. Molly, Molly, Molly. Say what you will about Halle Berry's acting. She did come off as... A delusional escape artist, pyromaniac, prone to violent behavior. <laughs> I don't get her choices. I don't know if I want to root for her. Someone tell me, why does J.D. decide he needs to take Molly out of the funny farm?
1: Okay, but, you know, going back to his statement, I don't know if I want to root for her. I mean, to me, that's the beauty of her character. That's the beauty of the yeah. writing is that you,
0: you've got this character that you don't know whether you want to root for her or not. Yeah, she's obviously got a very crazy approach, very headstrong approach, but also she's not taking any crap. You know, one of my favorite lines that she says is, I'm going to take a freaking shower. (laughs) I mean, I just love that from Hallie. She just is basically like portraying this crazy character as someone who is going to go with this crazy alien versus robots plot and and make it work. (laughs) Uh,
1: I know that's what she said. Closed captioning had it spelled freaking. Oh,
0: freaking shower. (laughs) (laughs) Even though she said fricking. I loved it. That was one of my favorite lines. (laughs) of So Leo goes on to say, instead of just going to rest while interviewing her, he calls in several favors to spring miss shovel and all because of some prenatal vitamins. I don't get the world of extant. Hopefully the new showrunners aren't using the ex-girlfriend's guide to (laughs) sci-fi to save this show. And, And I really like how Leo put all of his misgivings, even though I don't necessarily agree with all of them. Just really nicely put. Thanks, Leo. All right. Well, he also sent us one today where he says, in
1: your last podcast, you mentioned that you didn't get any listener feedback. Be aware of what you ask for. Nah, <laughs> nah. We, hey, you guys keep it coming. Leo, you saved us. Absolutely. By giving us this stuff. So he says, I think I've found the theme for season two of Extant, really intelligent people making brain deadening decisions. <laughs> Julie, she told Ethan the truth about John. Daddy's dead but then lied to him about the possibility of mom coming back. Why not be honest with him that Molly was so crazy. She wasn't coming back or better yet. Why not just wipe his memory of both of them from the get go. Are you really telling me that she just now thought about reprogramming him? (laughs) Apparently she could have been Ethan's mom a lot quicker.
0: Yeah, I think it did just occur to her. I don't think that's something that you do lightly. You saw how she hesitated when it said, are you sure you want to do this? And then she hit yes. Yes. Yeah, because at the core,
1: I think she believes in what John was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the government. These guys are not tech or PYRON. Nice continuum reference there, Leo. Thank you. (laughs) They want to shut Molly up. I'm still a little unclear why they want her quiet, but they can't kill Halle Berry. I I mean, Molly. (laughs) That's right. If only there was a great cover story to discredit her. Hmm. If only there was a documented space radiation illness thing that causes astronauts to go crazy that they could use.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything like that they could use?
1: Yeah. Apparently only Molly can use the internet to find the explanation of why she's gone all violent and nuts. (laughs) If they aren't going to kill her, why not just tell the truth? I
0: can't wait until next week to find out what head scratching moves extant makes. Yeah. And I, I think Leo is keying in on the same thing that I thought about this episode. And I put it in my den of geek review as well about how I feel like, you're barely holding on with this show and it's action packed, but at the same time you feel like, Whoa, slow down for a minute here because uh, these decisions that they're making are just so crazy and stupid. And like just Anna being all brusque about, pushing Julie to the limits and all this stuff is like, you know, you're headed for disaster, right?
1: Well, you know, and it was kind of telling to go back to the San Diego Comic-Con panel for a second in that 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 was one of the things Halle Berry talked about is that in some of the changes they were making, and she really pulled no punches that we're throwing some sex, we're throwing some action because we know that's what people like. And we're going to weave all the thematic stuff in there as well. But
0: and I think they've done a masterful job. We were so worried about the whole sexy adjective being thrown around in the preseason. Right. And remember what I said about swapping fluids. It's going to be a transfusion. <laughs> but yeah. even just the, the thing that she had with the guy, the tattooed guy in the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's great. I just love it. I mean, they really have done a, a sci-fi turn on, on the uh, sexy interaction And I can't wait to see what happens between Molly and JD because of the chemistry they have. So I think there's uh, lots of cool things in store for any type of viewer of the show. But hopefully we'll get some more feedback. Guys, where's our regular people that normally write into us? So we want to hear your opinions. So please write into us at goldensprowmedia.com slash feedback. But that's it for this edition of the Extant Podcast. Keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Extant GSM. And our Facebook group is growing. I'm so happy to see at facebook.com slash groups slash extant podcast where we have tons of news including the san diego comic-con stuff and mike and i'll
1: be back next week with our discussion of extant episode three of season two entitled empathy for the devil but in the meantime head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts you can write a message record a comment using your computer's microphone or simply
0: call 304-837-2278 and if you've enjoyed this episode of the extant podcast please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes. And thank you to Convinced22 who gave us a four-star rating. We'll take it. We'll take it. And we'll talk to you next weekend.